Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us and letting us be part of your day. Hope you're staying warm. We've got a lot to talk about today. We had WASDE report out yesterday, the World Agriculture Supply and Demand Estimates out, and we're going to go over those numbers. We have a lot of analysis today from several of our market analysts that we uh, rely on here on Adams on Agriculture to keep us up to date on what's going on with the market. So we're going to break that report down in uh, several different ways on today's show. And later we're going to look at the U.S.-China relations. We'll talk with the Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Jake Parker will join us. We'll take a look at uh, doing business with China now with the Biden administration, what he sees ahead. That's coming up later in today's program. But let's uh, kick things off looking at that WASDE report. Our first analyst up today is Todd Holtman, lead analyst for DTN. Todd, thanks for joining us. So corn and soybean ending stocks are getting tighter, but in the case of corn, not as tight as some had been predicting. Yes, uh, very good. Thanks for having me again, Mike. It was just a couple weeks ago, we got a, a series of large purchases from China some 230 million bushels, maybe more, uh, uh, reported by USDA. So expectations were high. Uh, and, and personally, my ending stocks estimate is still in the 1.2 billion bushel uh, range for, for uh, corn in the current season. But that's not how USDA saw it on Tuesday. They dropped it down to 1.5 billion bushels, which is still a, a nice supportive scenario for corn prices, but certainly a disappointment to the trade. Uh, and, and what expectations were. So it looks like we've triggered off a little bit of uh, avalanche of non-commercial selling here early this morning. So the trade focuses not on the stocks are tighter, but they're not down as much as they had been thinking they would be. Well, <laughs> you know, we're a herd-bound lot, and it's not easy <laughs> to spook. <laughs> it's not easy to spook the herd, especially when speculative involvement in corn and beans is such a high level, near record levels uh, here. And, of course, uh, yesterday's high price challenge before the report came out around uh, 574, you know, that's a pretty frothy price for corn. So we're getting up here in a very nervous area. We've uh, uh, got a lot of uh, people that don't know a lot about corn in the market, and uh, that makes things a little panicky at times. Yeah, uh speculators can help drive a market up and they can also bring it down when people a lot of other people think they shouldn't be bringing it down so that kind of you get the good and the bad there uh so was that the biggest takeaway from yesterday's report or what else stood out to you no uh there were some interesting things a little deeper uh in the details and it was interesting that corn or excuse me usda raised the corn import estimate for china from 17 and a half million metric ton up to 24 now. Some are still thinking there's potential for 30 million metric tons when the season is all said and done. Uh, and of course, it's always difficult to guess about China, but as we continue to watch China's own corn price, it still remains very high and it's very close to $11 a bushel. So uh, we do continue to expect active demand from China. 
Uh, while prices have been getting higher, though, we do see some offsetting demand reductions coming from Europe and Japan and South Korea. I think that's just kind of a natural uh, result of the higher price uh, response you would get up here. So uh, it was a bit of a mixed report, uh, as we say, a little bit of a bearish disappointment. But uh, 1.5 billion bushels of ending corn stocks is still the tightest situation we've seen in seven years and uh, very supportive of uh, prices, at least in the low uh, $5 range, if not up here at 574 it shows where we've come, how far we've come. If we're a little disappointed, if uh, the corn price comes down to a little above five dollars, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a sliding scale, isn't it? <laughs> Managing expectations at this point, right? So, what about uh, the uh, soybean numbers? Uh, soybean numbers were actually in line with expectations. 120 million bushels of ending soybean stocks is still uh, very close to, and I think given us potential to be the tightest season we've uh, seen in modern history. Um, so th there's really nothing uh, that has changed there. The, the obvious, uh, or a couple obvious things are that our soybean export sales commitments are already at 2.15 billion bushels, and USDA is only estimating exports of 2.25 billion bushels. So with six months left to go on the season, uh, it seems likely that there's still going to be pressure on raising that export estimate even higher. The only thing uh, standing in the way of us and much tighter supplies ahead uh, is Brazil's soybean harvest, and it's been slow, but uh, it's pretty widely regarded that it's going to be a very large record crop, somewhere right around 4.9 billion bushels. We'll focus more on the soybean uh, numbers a little bit later on in the program. Let's go to wheat. A USDA maintained wheat ending stocks at 836 million bushels. Traders had expected a, a drop, maybe to 834. What are your thoughts there? Yeah, well, 2 million bushels isn't really enough to argue among uh, between friends. So uh, that, I see that as in line with expectations. I thought there was a possibility that the feed demand estimate for wheat could go up maybe another 10 million bushels. Uh, USDA did not show that on the U.S balance sheet, but they did show a big demand boost in the world numbers, and, and that was probably where the more interesting uh, information was in Tuesday's WASDE report. USDA boosted the estimate of uh, world wheat demand by almost 10 million metric tons. The bulk of that came from China and India, uh, two big wheat consumers, obviously. And uh, it, it ended up putting the world-ending wheat stocks just uh, slightly above where we were a year ago. So it was interesting that, you know, all year long we've been uh, estimating a pretty healthy increase in we, – we, well, we had record wheat production, and we were estimating a healthy increase in world-ending stocks. At the end of the day, it looks like we're just going to be slightly higher than where we were uh, a year ago. So that was a bit supportive for wheat prices, but in this environment, we're not going to see – uh, much uh, uh, bullish boost in the price of wheat while corn and soybeans are falling so sharply. All right, so real quick, what do you see now for the next few weeks? The next few weeks, I think there's going to be uh, continued focus on uh, Brazil soybean harvest progress. Uh, the, the forecast is still for heavy rain uh, starting Thursday here and for the week ahead for central and northern Brazil. So that still makes that harvest progress difficult. 
the private firm Egg Rural said it's 4% harvested as of last Thursday. It, they did have an opportunity to make more progress this week, but as I say, we've got heavy rain coming. Uh, so it's going to continue to be a, a slow harvest period for uh, soybeans in Brazil, and of course that means that second corn crop is going to get planted later than usual, uh, and so that adds to the risk uh, of that crop moving forward. I think overall, All right. after we... Okay. Yeah, Thank we're you. out of time, but uh, we'll keep a close watch on that uh, South American situation. Todd, thanks a lot. Thanks for taking us deep into the numbers. We appreciate it. My pleasure. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman kicking off our lineup of analysts, market analysts today. Up next, Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Adams on Agriculture prides itself on bringing top leaders in the egg industry right to your radio speakers. AOA wants to continue that conversation right to your fingertips. Follow AOA on Twitter at AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams himself at the handle Mike Adams Egg. You will receive real-time highlights of the show and keep up with which convention or industry meeting AOA is attending. That's AOA underscore talk show and Mike Adams Egg. We hope to see you online. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, the latest numbers for January are now out, and joining us with those numbers is Purdue Ag Economist Michael Langmeyer. Michael, thanks for joining us. I am surprised that the January numbers are down, considering the fact that market prices have been up. If you look at the Ag Economy barometer in January, it, it stood at 167. That compares to a value of 183 in October, and I'll talk about why I think it's lower today compared to October, even though prices have continued to increase. Uh, the current index is, is identical to what it was last January before COVID hit. So that, that's kind of interesting, I think. But the main reason why the January uh, index is, is lower than October is related, to, is related to the index of future expectations. The index of current conditions remains at relatively high levels because of the strong prices, particularly corn and soybean, but also wheat and other commodities. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. What kitchen gadget is so essential to food safety that no home should be without it? I'm registered dietitian nutritionist Toby Smithson. A food thermometer isn't just for meat and poultry. It will help you avoid food poisoning from egg dishes, casseroles, and leftovers by ensuring they're fully cooked by reaching a safe minimum internal temperature. Heat leftovers and casseroles to at least 165 degrees and egg dishes to at least 160 degrees. You'll find more food safety tips at homefoodsafety.org. Do you know how to keep food safe at home? Clean, separate, cook, and chill. The easy lessons of clean, separate, cook, and chill will help you protect your family and be food safe. Let's talk about how to separate. First, use different cutting boards for meat, poultry, seafood, and veggies. Raw meat should never touch food that won't be cooked. Then, always keep raw meat, poultry, seafood, and their juices away from other foods in the shopping cart. And store raw meat, poultry, and seafood in a container or on a plate in the fridge so juices won't drip on other foods. Food safety risks at home are more common than most people think. The USDA is your partner in being food safe. Clean, separate, cook, and chill. 
For more information, visit BeFoodSafe.gov or call 1-888-MP-HOTLINE. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. We continue our look at this month's WASDE numbers as our next analyst is Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. Naomi, thanks for joining us. Uh, I guess when we look at expectations, that kind of drives things. I mean, this is where we come now. We can tighten corn and soybean stocks, and the report is viewed as bearish by many, especially on the corn side, because it wasn't down. Those numbers weren't down as much on corn as some had thought they would be. Yeah, isn't that something? So even though the long-term story continues to be so friendly for this grain market, with overall ending stocks getting tighter and, you know, the tightest they've been in seven, eight years. Uh, but again, yeah, just how fickle the market can be when it doesn't fully get its way and it gets a little pouty, takes its ball and wants to go home. So that's what we're seeing today. You know, the other part to it as well is that we're heading into a three-day holiday weekend. The Chinese New Year starts on Friday of this week. So, uh, you know, again, just without that immediate gratification bullish news, a little bit of a correction is what we're seeing today. All right, so other than those that were disappointed, the corn stocks number wasn't lower than it was. Uh, What do you make of these numbers and where we are here in approaching mid-February? What do they tell us moving forward? Well, to me, it tells us that the USDA still needs to adjust the export categories further for both corn and beans. Um, With as strong as our sales have been, um, we still need to see, I think, even more Uh, demand shown for exports on the reports going forward. So that's the biggest thing I'll be watching upcoming. Um, But the other part of this too, you know, thinking about um, next year, the market is going to be balancing a delicate tightrope where the old crop story is friendly, but next week on Thursday, Friday is the USDA Outlook Forum. And that's when they come in and they give these triumphant acres and they come out with, you know, huge yield guesses, and that just puts, you know, a damper on the new crop prices. So seasonally, we might see the market just trade in a little bit of a consolidation pattern for the next few weeks until we get either more export sales or bad weather happening in Brazil for that second crop corn. But aren't we in a spot now, Naomi, where we could have a big crop here in the U.S. this year, and because of those stocks numbers being as low as they are, it it wouldn't have the shouldn't have the same bearish effect, should it, on prices as we've seen in past years where we had much higher levels? You're right. It wouldn't be necessarily as bearish, but quite frankly, it depends on what numbers the USDA throws out next week. The industry guesses are pretty wide right now. I think we're expecting six or seven more million acres of soybeans to get planted. But the the question is going to be, what are they going to put on paper for corn? How many acres are we going to lose of cotton? How many acres are we going to lose to spring wheat? And then we hear producers who say, well, if the corn or bean price is high enough yet this spring, if they had winter wheat planted, they might dig up the wheat and plant corn or beans or something like that instead. So there's a lot of unknowns here. 
But the, the bottom line is that we just need to keep an eye on the perception of what the ending stocks are doing. And as long as the ending stocks are perceived to get smaller, and for Pete's sake, we got the soybean stocks to use ratio, the second tightest in history here, um, if not tied now for the tightest, um, it's still a friendly story. We just have to drudge through this uh, short-term hiccup and technical trading uh, until we can get some fresh news. It's almost like we're not used to dealing with friendly news. We almost dis discard it uh, so easily. <laughs> yeah, I, that's so true. We've, we've been so used to, you know, being the, the the bearish news for so many years that, yeah, we have to kind of change our mindset yet. And, you know, even in years past, like 2008, I'm sure everyone has been hearing about that year, um, and even in other years, there's a little bit of a pullback that's normal for February going into March. But then some of those years, the market just started keep, you know, climbing higher as as the spring turned into summer. So I, I don't think we need to um, feel like prices are falling and they're never going to come back. Um, but we definitely lost some traction here. We're talking with Naomi Bloom with Total Farm Marketing. So Naomi, of course, two big factors we watch now while we wait for those USDA outlook numbers for U.S. Uh, production and plantings. Uh, we're watching that harvest in uh, South America and also that weather down there impacts their safrina corn crop plantings but also the big question how much uh bit more business does china do can they come anywhere close to the pace they've been setting for the last uh, few months well that's a good question now keep in mind that it's normal for our exports to start to fizzle out during mm -hmm. March and April and May. So if we see that happen, that's, that's normal because that South American crop is becoming available. So China has probably bought, as far as soybeans, the bulk of what they needed to buy from us, and now they're going to get some more needs met from South America. But it'll be interesting to see if some of our other traditional trading partners step up on this break and do some buying. So I'm very curious to see export sales in the morning, not just from the weekly export sales data perspective, but if there's any um, just small individual announcements that pop up from the USDA as well. You, know, you bring up a good point, and sometimes we overlook the, the normal, uh, what should be expected. I mean, China normally slows down purchases from us when they're getting beans from South America. Now, we've had a little extended window here because their harvest has been slowed, but uh, uh, it's not to be unexpected that they'll slow down their sales or purchases, but somehow I think it's going to be viewed as, oh, no, China's quit buying when you just got to look at, you know, the normal buying patterns. That's exactly right. So, so that you know, once people take that into perspective, um, I, I think that helps alleviate concerns that our exports have stalled because that's just a normal seasonal pattern. Um, but again, that would be part of the reason why prices maybe start to trade in a sideways range here for a few weeks, maybe a month, um, because we're running out of that immediate gratification news. So we're going to keep an eye on weather. We'll keep an eye on the value of the dollar. And then, of course, um, just keeping an eye on U.S. weather. Um, and that second crop corn in, in South America, it's only 10% planted in Mato Grosso, and normally it's about 30 to 35% planted by now. So that's a big chunk of that crop that's going to be at risk of um, starting to come to maturity during their dry season. So the story isn't over yet, and if there is any weather issues with that second crop corn in Brazil, we're going to see our spring market rally sooner than later just because that puts more pressure on the U.S. having a perfect crop going forward. Seems like we're talking a lot about expectations and perceptions. Uh, you, know, you stop and think about it. 
a market trading sideways at these levels isn't such a bad thing compared to where we've been the last few years. Oh, for sure, for sure. And, you know, the nice thing about that is that the longer it can trade sideways, it just builds a nice base of um, support then. So that way, when we get some friendly news, that'll, that support line becomes a springboard to just thrust price higher going into summer. So we have the potential set up yet for explosive prices this summer. I think your cash markets in the United States and the basis levels will get stronger as the summer goes comes comes around just because a lot of producers have made those cash sales already and who hasn't sold yet, they're going to hold on to it until the basis and the cash price gets even more attractive than where it's been. So right now we're waiting to, for that USDA Outlook conference and uh, there will be a lot of eyes on that and probably a lot of reaction to what they come out with. Yeah, for sure. And just remember, that number, it's not the official number, but that's what the trade right. is going to be using until the end of March when we have that prospective plantings report on March 31st. So for a good month, that's what the industry is going to focus on and chew on and start making their trade assumptions for the new crop marketing year. Yeah, assumptions. I can add that now. Expectations, perceptions, and assumptions. <laughs> that's what yeah. we're talking about a lot right now, right? <laughs> Yep, absolutely. It is the futures market, so that's what we have to yeah. work with. You got it. it. It is going to be interesting to see how these acres, uh, how this acre splits, these ratios uh, come out. Because as we talked before, with these prices being where they are for crops like cotton and sorghum, uh, farmers may not be so willing to give up those acres to corn and soybeans. Well, that's that's exactly right. And, you know, some of it will be, are people going to just continue to do their traditional rotations? Will there be any last-minute changes? You know, you wonder, though, a lot of people had the ability to get fall field work done, and with as dry as it's been throughout the Midwest over the winter so far, it looks like we might have a, a quick start to spring as well. So um, I'm very curious to see where everything is when all is said and done. Um, as far as those final acres, because you're right, sorghum is definitely a major component of this that we can't ignore, along with the, the cotton, um, spring wheat, all of that. So uh, this is a story that still is being written, mm -hmm. and I don't think you can say anything is too official quite yet. That's right. All right, uh, interesting times. Thank you, Naomi. Good to talk with you. You too. Thank you so much for having me. We'll visit with you again soon. All right, take care. Naomi Bloom, Senior Market Advisor for Total Farm Marketing. It's just amazing. All the, we talk so much about the markets, and as she said, that, that's why the futures market, right? you got a lot of speculation, and you're dealing with expectations and perceptions and assumptions. Well, coming up next, we'll get more analysis of yesterday's WASDE report. Mac Marshalls, Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board and U.S. Soybean Export Council, will focus in on the soybean numbers next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. So join us for Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rall. The grain and oilseed sector is trading lower this morning following yesterday's release of the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Report. March soybeans are falling hard to begin Wednesday morning, but really are back to just trading below where they were before the WASDE report was released. As expected, USDA raised U.S. soybean exports by 20 million bushels, with the resulting ending stock of 120 million bushels almost on the money with the average trade estimate. Traders had expected a sharp rise in U.S. corn exports ranging from 150 million bushels to 250 million bushels. Average estimate printed was at 160 million bushels. That minor increase took the wind out of the bulls market sale and led to profit-taking by ultra-long funds. On the Board of Trade, March soybeans trading 28 and three quarters lower at 1373. The May contract down 28 and a fraction at 1370 and a half cent. March corn down 14 and a quarter at 542 and a quarter, the May contract down 14 and a fraction at 540. For the wheats, Chicago wheat march down 13 at 636 and three quarters. Kansas City wheat march down 14 and a fraction at 619 and a quarter. Minneapolis spring wheat march down six at 620 and a half cent. The May contract down five and three quarters at 631 and three quarters. For livestock, the WASDE indicates higher grain prices that will not go away for a while, making it more difficult to hold market-ready cattle for higher prices. For lean hogs on the Board of Trade, the April contract $1.25 higher at $81.65, the May contract up 90 at $84.92. For feeder cattle, the March contract down 72 at $137.92, April down 75 at $142.42. For live cattle, the April contract down $1.20 at $122.62, the June contract down 62 at $119.02. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. So next up on our panel of analysts today, looking at the WASDE report, Mac Marshall, 
Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board and the U U.S. Soybean Export Council. Mac, thank you for joining us. So we've kind of got a report that um, despite showing tighter corn and soybean stocks is, is viewed as, as bearish because especially in the corn number, not down as much as some had expected. On soybeans, pretty close to in line, but still uh, it overall kind of viewed as a, as a bearish report. What do you make of it? Well, thanks for having me, Mike. Um, you know, yesterday in advance of the report, you were, you know, as I was watching the prices, uh, I think there was a lot of uh, buildup in anticipation of a greater cut to that ending stocks number. Now, recall, you know, we're, we're uh, the cut yesterday went from projected ending stocks of 140 million bushels to 120 million. Still a very, very tight carryout overall. But, um, it, you know, even with the average trade estimate coming in pretty close to that 120 million uh, ending stocks figure, um, there, I think there's just some buildup that there would be some expectation of, uh, of additional cuts. And, and that's on the U.S. side. But I still think there's, um, you know, some ample, uh, you know, reason to, uh, to view this as supportive for prices overall. You know, certainly we're at a very, very high level. And, um, you know, naturally you're going to come down from that uh, when whenever market news doesn't entirely meet expectations. But, um, you know, what I what I took out of this is what was driving that that cut in inventories, unlike the last couple wazis where it was born on the production side, this uh, with with uh, revisions to the U.S. crop, this one was really born on the demand side where, you know, you look at the export pace we've had over the course of uh, the marketing year starting September 1st, and, um, you know, USDA took up their expectation of uh, U.S. exports by another 20 million bushels. We're now at two and a quarter billion bushels of uh, expected exports, um, highest export forecast at this point in the marketing year. Um, so, you know, we're really seeing a lot of that, a lot of that demand strength there. Um, you know, also maybe contributing a little bit to uh, some of the uh, the bearish sentiment. Um, you know, as you alluded to, is a uh, you know, at this point of the year, uh, I was certainly looking for any adjustments to the balance sheets in South America as, uh, you know, Brazil and Argentina, um, you know, harvest uh, is underway in Brazil. It's pretty slow. Um, they had suffered through some early season planting delays. And now, um, you know, with some untimely rains, uh, harvest has been uh, been slow, you know, the, since the start of the calendar year. And Argentina, of course, has had dryness throughout. Uh, I was looking to see if there'd be any reductions in projected crop size there. Um, USDA held uh, their projections firm for Argentina at 48 million metric tons, Brazil at 133. That would be a record. Um, so I think not seeing, uh, you know, cuts there or, you know, a substantial reduction in global inventories might also be contributing to the over, uh, overall bearish sentiment that's uh, been borne out, at least as we look at the futures this morning. Talking with Mac Marshall, Vice President of Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board and the U.S. Soybean Export Council. So, Mac, uh, even though their harvest in South America has been delayed, it, it, you know, it's coming. And this is really uh, the time where they kind of, this is their window to sell, right? So, I mean, that's to be expected. That's the way it usually works. Exactly. There, there's there's definitely a seasonal pattern to it, um, although we've, we've seen a little bit of, um, of a distortion of that or, or a little bit of a delay. You know, in January, Brazil, I think, only shipped uh, 80,000 uh, metric tons of, of beans, which is down pretty substantially. I mean, this time last year, uh, I, I think they'd shipped out about a million and a half metric tons in January alone. Some of that, uh, that typical January shipment is getting, 
you know, moved into February as we've had the uh, the harvest delays. You know, vessel lineups have uh, you know expectations of eight million metric tons coming out of Brazil uh, over the course of February. We'll see how that unfolds because, um, of course, you know, at least as of last week, only five percent of the crop area had been harvested, and and that that barely gets you to that uh, that eight million figure. Actually, doesn't even get you there. So, um, you know, it, it definitely it definitely bears monitoring. I mean, we've got kind of a longer peak export window this year because of the uh, delays in Brazil and even going back to last year because there was so much aggressive selling in Brazil and, and uh, you know, a little bit of demand rationing happening on, uh, on that side in, um, in what would normally be their, their peak export window. So lots to, lots to unpack in the coming weeks, I think, as we get a better sense of what that crop size looks like, what they're able to actually get out of port. And, um, you know, in the meantime, uh, here in the U.S., we've got farmers uh, kind of in the final weeks of major planning decisions. And, uh, unfortunately, um, for the uh, for the U.S. Uh, soy complex, they're pricing into a pretty good environment. Well, yeah, the guessing game is underway on acres. What are you expecting for soybean acres here in the U.S.? Sure. Well, I think the, <laughs> the general consensus here, and, and we'll get more noise around this in the weeks to come leading up to the planting intentions report at the end of March, but, um, you know, I've, I've seen, you know, ranges from, you know, 84 million acres all the way up to 91 million acres. Um, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to hang my hat on anything, but I, I see no reason why, you know, we wouldn't see, you know, a couple million uh, additional acres come into production this year, maybe taking us out to the high 80s. But, um, you know, uh, weather, of course, matters. And I think, uh, you know, how that prevails uh, over the coming weeks in, in April and everything, um, you know, there's always the potential for, uh, you know, for uh, delays. I mean, certainly uh, two years ago, um, when we were looking at that 2019 crop, we thought we'd wind up with, um, you know, mid-80s in terms of planted area. And, of course, there were washouts. So, you know, not to not to be Captain Obvious here, but weather does matter. And we'll be uh, watching that certainly in the weeks to come. All right, so we've talked a lot. I've talked about uh, looking at these uh, re- numbers and how markets react to them, talking about expectations, perceptions, and assumptions. So let's do that a little bit on the the acres. What What's the number What's the where you would set the over-under? Uh, if it's over that number or under that number, that it's either bullish or bearish for soybeans. If, uh, you got me on the spot, Mike. So I, I think um, I think if we're looking at anything over 89, 90, um, you know, there's always kind of psychological threshold. Once uh, your acreage figure starts with a nine, whether it be corn or beans, um, and uh, you know, if we're looking at 90, that would be a, a record high. Um, I, I think you're starting to see some of these expectations priced into the market. Looking at the at the futures curves, um, you know, you look at harvest time futures for uh, for November 21 beans, and it's it's about a, a two dollar a bushel spread relative to the front month March contract right now. So I think um, you know, looking at that curve, you have expectations of a lot higher area coming in. Now, um, certainly that two dollar spread is reflective of uh, you know a bearish sentiment for the 21. Uh, crop based on planting intentions relative to 20, but of course these are these are price levels that um, you know that are still you know very high relative to where we've been over the past you know five six years. Yeah, it's interesting. Now, now sometimes a wet spring and a late spring that might help soybean acres, right? I mean, if maybe someone was wanting to plant corn, but oh, it gets we- late, so they go to beans, you know. 
we we definitely saw that in 2015. I think there was a you know some pretty substantial shifts. Um, of course, there's always inflection points, and and 2019 was one of those inflection points where um, you know uh, it looked like there were going to be corn acres going to beans as well because of wetness in the spring. But that wetness you know continued to persist into the peak planting period for beans. Um, so you know there's there's a, a lot of factors here at play. Yeah, weather being that big unknown. Uh... Do you get all those prevent plant acres back, or a lot of them, or do you wind up with more and prevent plant again? So those are the the unknowns. Um, well, at I, what point? I, since yeah. I, oh, sorry, Mike. Since you brought up the prevent planting, um, I, I think that that's uh, an important set of figures to look at um, in terms of you know where the cushion is and where we could see incremental area. Um, and uh, one of the uh, the um, you know, had people in the uh, economics uh, or Office of the Chief Economist at USDA was at a conference a couple weeks ago and, you know, was basically citing the, those prevent plant numbers and how, you know, there, there was definitely room to go up on both corn and beans uh, kind of resulting from that and, uh, and uh, you know, available area. We've certainly been at higher acreage figures for both crops before, so, so there's, a, there's a buffer there for sure. But uh, sorry, I didn't mean to catch you off there. No, but until we know for sure or get closer to knowing, we'll probably the markets will work off whatever USDA comes out with in their outlook conference here coming up. Yeah, absolutely. We got that coming out uh, next week. Um, you know, each year as I look at the uh, sort of data calendar and uh, the the major um, you know market moving releases that come out. You know, what they put out on that Thursday morning of the uh, Ag Outlook Conference. Um, you know, certainly matters. It's the first, you know, true look we have at, um, you know, what expectations are for, you know, the upcoming year. But, of course, that intentions report at the end of March is, is, uh, is you know, survey-based. Um, so it's, it's really engaging more with what farmers are actually intending to do. Um, so, uh, you know, we get our first line in the sand next week and then, uh, you know, a, a maybe a little bit deeper <laughs> line in the sand at the end of March. And, of course, all that's getting uh, trued up between, uh, you know, April, May and, and into June when we get the final acreage report on, uh, on June 30th that's, uh, you know, based off of actuals. Gives us all plenty to talk about, doesn't it? Uh, there's, there's, that's, that's the beauty of ag markets. There's no shortage of data, no shortage of talking points, and we all love numbers in this business. And fortunately, even though they're down uh, some today, there's the, the numbers, the market numbers are still higher when it comes to prices, and that's a, a nice change from where we've been for the last several years. Mac, good to talk with you. Thanks for being with us. Likewise, Mike. Take care. Mac Marshall, Vice President, Market Intelligence for the United Soybean Board and U.S. Soybean Export Council. Well, of course, a lot of this has to do with China. They've been big buyers. Uh, they'll be switching probably now to South America as usual. But what about moving forward? What's the uh, relationship now between the U.S. and China now that we have a Biden administration? How will they approach things? What is the Chinese reaction? Uh, we're going to talk about all that with Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. Give us his thoughts on the trading relations between the U.S. and China next here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Don't go away. More Adams on Agriculture coming right up. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. 
My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture. Conversations with policymakers, the movers and shakers in the ag industry. The pros and cons of issues important to you cutting through the spin to get to the heart of the topic and giving you the information you need to know. Every weekday, Mike Adams brings you a guest important to the ag industry. It's quite simply information farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Adams on Agriculture. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, will the new Congress and the new administration be able to get something done on a comprehensive infrastructure plan? Let's talk about it with Todd Van Hoos, President and CEO of the Farm Credit Council. I know that you are hopeful and doing all you can to uh, try to get something done on infrastructure. We're optimistic. We think the Congress and the Biden administration are going to be focused on infrastructure. And and we're having a pretty good reaction as we talk to people on Capitol Hill and in the Biden administration about the unique needs in rural America and hoping that they will focus on those. 
it seems here we have this great need in the country and seemingly bipartisan support. Can they get past the politics to get it done? I think there's an opportunity here. I think there's a willingness of both parties to try to find something that they can work on productively. And when you look at this, the scale of the issues involved, infrastructure is someplace that does have bipartisan support. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Carbon monoxide is a colorless, odorless gas that can be fatal. Don't use anything indoors that burns fuel, such as gasoline-powered generators, camp stoves and lanterns, or charcoal grills. Opening doors and windows or using fans isn't enough. Have your vents and chimneys checked to make sure water heater and gas furnace exhausts aren't blocked. If you feel sick, dizzy, or weak while using a generator, get to fresh air right away. From the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. You're listening to AOA, Adams on Agriculture. Hi, this is Mike Adams. You can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Always a lot of focus, of course, on China, and we always appreciate uh, Jake Parker, Senior Vice President of the U.S.-China Business Council, for joining us and giving us his perspective on the relationship, trading relationship between the two countries. Jake, thank you for being with us. Uh, how do you feel it's going here in the early days of the Biden administration? Well, things are, are going fairly fairly well in the early days of the Biden administration. What we're seeing is a general reluctance to set a specific China policy at the outset. They want to make sure that they have the right political appointees in place and that they have a chance to have a robust interagency discussion and set a trajectory for the strategy on China before they begin negotiations. Falling into a negotiating trap with the Chinese can sometimes undermine the ability of senior officials in the U.S. government to be able to push forward a really dynamic policy that's in the best interest of the United States. So both sides kind of feeling each other out? I would say that the, the there's a, a general seed of an idea for uh, an approach to China, and it, it comes down to this idea of approaching China from a position of strength. What that means in our conversations with the new administration is they want to focus first domestically on infrastructure development. I know you've had some conversations with some of your other guests on that recently. It's about increasing research and development funding. It's about economic recovery and ensuring that the pandemic gets under control. And once the United States is in a better position, then it can approach China from a position of strength, uh, knowing that, that it has these things then going in the right direction. What are you hearing on the U.S.-China trade deal? Do they start over, try to keep going or with, with this that's in place now, or, or where does that stand? So the great thing about the phase one agreement is that it lasts until the end of 2021, as you know. I don't think there's any intention to undermine it at the moment. There's also, unfortunately, no intention at the moment to remove any of the tariffs that are in place. I think our expectation is that until uh, Catherine Tai uh, is confirmed as the new U.S. trade representative, we're unlikely to see a lot of progress in this area because obviously she'll need to be in place She'll need to have conversations with others in the administration before moving forward with any kind of decision on phase one. Just as a note, the U.S.-China Business Council, the group that, that, I, that I represent and many other trade associations uh, in Washington are very much pushing for phase one to be supported and defended by the new administration to ensure that China meets its commitments and that we're able to continue to, to benefit from the negotiations of the previous administration. Jake, what do you see as the biggest 
obstacles, the hurdles that need to be overcome to move uh, the trading relationship between the U.S. and China forward? It's a great question. Um, so, so this is one of the biggest challenges now is some of the long-standing structural impediments to doing business with China. In many ways, they're the golden goose of negotiations between our two countries over the last decade or more. And it's the role of China's state-owned enterprises in its domestic system and the impact that, that has on competitive markets with non-state companies around the world. It's about subsidies and industrial policies that are being focused in China's domestic economy to give an unfair advantage to their companies as compared to American ones. It's about some of the data policies that restrict data from flowing out of China into the United States and require that data to be stored within China for, for Chinese citizens. You know, these, are, these are hugely difficult issues. They go at the core of China's economic system, but they're the ones that are going to need to be resolved to, to take the trading relationship to the, to the next step. Yeah, and I and I think, and this is the reason I asked the question, we tend to look at uh, the relationship with China based on whatever area we're most involved in. For those in agriculture, we kind of look at how much how much uh, are we selling them in soybeans or corn or whatever it may be. Other areas, other industries are looking at it from their perspective. But there there seems to be so much more to it. I mean, the, the geopolitical as, uh, aspect of it and uh, the world uh, uh, you know ranking here for who's number one and in a lot of areas the, the com competition between the two countries I mean there's just so much at play and uh, big picture isn't there you're absolutely right it, it must be nice to be in one of the parts of the relationship that is frankly doing quite well right now as you know the December trade data was released this week and there's nothing other than over almost overwhelmingly positive story for American agriculture producers Poultry is up 53,000%, 700-plus million in sales to China in 2020. We've got corn, compared to 2017, corn is up 700% or more. Pork exports are up 600%. Uh, uh, the trade one agreement has benefited farmers in a really important way, and we shouldn't let that get lost when it comes to the criticisms of China, maybe not meeting all of its targets. These are, these are positive improvements that at least part of our economy is beginning to enjoy. Do you think they've made those purchases because of the phase one trade deal or just because they had that need that, you know, they just needed all that product? Um, I, I would say that it's not because of phase one. Uh, it's rather because of the inhibitors that restricted their ability to purchase from the United States during the height of trade frictions with us. Those were removed, which allowed the U.S. to become another supplier uh, when in the past they, they had to go to Brazil or Poland or, or Argentina or wherever to make their agricultural purchases. So th this engagement with China is important because the alternative can create um, significant challenges, as we saw in 2018, 2019, for farmers. Um, so I, I think it's more just the removing the inhibitor as opposed to specifically the phase one. Anything coming up uh, on the horizon we should be watching for as far as a kind of an indicator of what might be ahead? Yeah, I mean, obviously the Chinese uh, government and the Chinese people went on to a, a national holiday today. It'll be quiet for the next week and a half as, as they go through uh, the Chinese New Year period. We're entering the year of the ox from the year of the rat. I know that many of us are excited to get to that, that new stage. The big date on the horizon that everyone needs to watch is going to be towards the end of March when China has what's called the two meetings. And that'll be when all of the, the 
ministries under China's state council develop their plans for the next year. And this is one of the unusual cycles in that China sets its five-year priorities going forward. And so we'll have an announcement on that called the 14th Five-Year Plan in March. All right, we'll watch for that and uh, look forward to getting an update from you. Thanks, Jake. Good to talk with you. My pleasure. Jake Parker, Senior Vice President for the U.S.-China Business Council. That wraps it up for today. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you'll be with us again tomorrow right here at AOA. Hi, this is Mike Adams. Thanks for listening to Adams on Agriculture. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.